Goldsmith there. In this session, I'm going to be talking about the changelings, uh, a plant covenawid, the children of the Tolwitaig, the children of Gwynapneith's people, who were exchanged with mortal children, uh, more often than not without the parents' consent. So in many ways, quite a disturbing um, set of stories in Welsh folklore, this idea that your children could be stolen uh, and swapped for fairy children, which more often than not looked exactly like your own, but would re reveal themselves to be different and not your children through strange behaviour. I'll be telling you a changeling story that we find in one of the more reliable sources for Welsh folklore, uh, that being the work of Elias Owen, uh, the Reverend Elias Owen, who was one of the more scholarly folklore and folk story collectors of the Victorian era, and we'll be dipping into his classic, uh, Welsh Folklore which should be on the shelves of any ardent folk nerd. Um, for those of you who want to get yourselves a copy, there are plenty of very cheap modern copies available. You can pick them up for about two or three quid sometimes. I think there might even be a cheap Kindle edition. But if you're after a first edition, the 1887 edition, or if you've got one, then hold on to it, because they can go for anything between 150 and... <clears throat> I've seen some go for 250. So they're worth a lot of money, those early uh, Elias Owen Welsh folklore books. So hold on to them if you've got an early one. Changelings are actually a feature of many, many, many different folk traditions across the whole of Europe. We find them from... Poland, all the way up to Scotland, to Ireland, in Germany. They're definitely part of English folk tradition also. I believe that Oofs, uh, or the Oof, was a name for the changeling. In Wales, of course, they were known as Plant Cavnewid, the exchanged children. And it's quite likely that people seriously believed in this, and it was a very widespread and concerning belief amongst uh, the Welsh folk of the modern period. We find people in the 19th century and 18th century still believing that this was possible, that your child could be exchanged for a supernatural uh, being's child. There is something disturbing in that whole notion, and Elias Owen himself often comments on kind of the the barbarism of this belief, how um, how upsetting and disturbing it actually is, that people may well have believed this to be the case, that their children could be swapped for supernatural babies, uh, and they would therefore respond in the appropriate manner, and we'll see what the appropriate manner uh, is when we read the story. But it's worth bearing in mind that what before we head into the stories, that this was widespread, not only across Wales, but probably across parts of England and Europe as I said, all the way to the east, all the way to Poland. There are other traditions across the world also that are similar, but when we're talking about changelings specifically, it's usually Europe that we're talking about. And that widespread 
um, reach of the, the folk belief suggests at least that it's very ancient, that it's very old. And this is one of the things that we'll be trying to outline in this session is, well, how old is this belief in changelings? Could we say that it's a myth? Is there an ancient myth deep in the root of this story that we can reveal? Of course, as usual, this is all going to be speculation, and I'm going to be asking you kind folks some questions. The story I'm going to be telling you is from the Welsh Folklore Collection of 1887. It's early on in the book, uh, in the Changelings chapter, and it goes something like this. In the parish of Treveclois, near Llanitlois, which is in mid-Wales, in the county of Montgomery, Montgomeryshire, there is a little shepherd's cot that is commonly called Tut Acumrus. Now, Elias Owen translates, translates this as the place of strife. I'm not totally sure about that translation. And it was commonly called Tut Acumrus on account of the extraordinary strife that has been there. The inhabitants of the cottage were a man and his wife, and they had borne to them twins, whom the woman nursed with great care and tenderness. Some months afterwards, indispensable business called the wife to the house of one of her nearest neighbours. Now, in many of the other variations that we have of the changeling story, this is almost always the case. The mother has to go and do something important. Yet, notwithstanding she had not far to go, she did not like to leave her children by themselves in their cradle, even for a minute as her house was solitary, and there were many tales of goblins, or the Tulwith Teg, the fair family or fairies, haunting the neighbourhood. Now, unfortunately, this is one of the things that Elieso intends to do, which is to use other words from other traditions to try and describe the Tulwith Teg, and he describes them as goblins, sometimes as dwarves. Whereas we know from the main body of the tradition that the Tulwith Teg are actually more like humans. And if they were not like humans, it would be impossible for the Tilwith Tig to exchange their babies uh, for mortal babies, of course. Anyway, I digress. However, she went and returned as soon as she could. But on coming back, she felt herself not a little terrified on seeing, though it was midday, some of the old elves of the blue petticoat, as they are usually called. However, when she got back to her house, she was rejoiced to find everything in the state she had left it. So she sees a Tulwith Teg. She knows that there are Tulwith Teg in the area. But when she gets back, she's not worried because everything is apparently fine. But after some time had passed by, the good people, the people of the parish that is, began to wonder that the twins did not grow at all, but still continued little dwarfs. The man, her husband, would have it that they were not his children. The woman said that they must be their children, and about this arose the great strife between them that gave name to the place. One evening, when the woman was very heavy of heart, she determined to go and consult a gwr cyfarwydd, that is the Welsh term for a wise man, sometimes a conjurer, if it's uh, used in a belittling sense. We'll meet the gwr cyfarwydd later on in this series also. 
I might do a short session on them because they're they're an in, uh, a very interesting figure in Welsh folklore. They're often in these types of stories. Either a gur cavarwydd or a dyn hyspis, a man of knowing, or a grach, a witch. One of these uh, liminal figures that, that were clearly part of Welsh society in the past. One evening, when the woman was very heavy of heart, she determined to go and consult a gur cavarwydd feeling assured that everything was known to him, and he gave her his counsel. Now there was to be a harvest soon of the rye and oats. So the wise man said to her, When you are preparing dinner for the reapers, empty the shell of a hen's egg, and boil the shell full of pottage, and take it out through the door as if you meant it for a dinner to the reapers, and then listen what the twins will say. If you hear the children speaking things above the understanding of children, return into the house, take them, and throw them into the waters of Llinepir, which is very near to you. But if you don't hear anything remarkable, do them no injury. And when the day of reaping came, the woman did as her adviser had recommended to her, and as she went outside the door to listen, she heard one of the children say to the other, Gwelais fesen cyn gweled derwen, gwelais ŵy cyn gweled iar, er ioed ni welais ferwi bwyd i fedel, mewn plisgyn iar which translates as, I saw an acorn, sorry, I haven't copied these very well, I saw an acorn before I saw an oak, I saw an egg before I saw a hen, never one hen's egg shall stew enough for harvest men. So obviously, these are not mortal children, because if they were babies, they wouldn't be able to speak at this stage, let alone come out with these riddle-like stanzas. On this, the mother returned to her house and took the two children and threw them into the thin. And suddenly, the goblins in their trousers, I'm not quite sure why Elias Owen feels it necessary to mention their trousers, but they're wearing trousers, came to serve their dwarfs. So dwarfs are now children to goblins who are fairies who are the Tullitaic. Don't get confused now. And the woman had her own children back again. And thus the strife between her and her husband ended. My question is, considering the story you've just heard, what other old Welsh tale do you believe is similar? What other old Welsh tale shares similar features to this story? Now I'm guessing some of you will be able to guess, because some of you will have done my courses and you'll know how this lumpy head thinks. The story I'm explicitly thinking of is the first part of the tale of Taliesin. Consider what you've just heard, and we'll run through some of the similarities here. So the tale of Taliesin. They are both about supernatural infants, otherworldly magic babies. Now I know that magic babies are very, very common across the globe. We need only think of Jesse Grist, Jesus, to think of the most famous magic baby of all. But magic babies are clearly an important part of world mythology, not just of Celtic myths, uh, mythology. 
But it's not just the fact that both stories include supernatural infants, but specifically the supernatural infants are old souls in new bodies. So, of course, Guion Bach is killed and is reborn as the infant Taliesin, an old soul in a new body. Both of these babes in the story are clearly far older than their new bodies would suggest, in that they have seen acorns turn into oaks. Yeah, they've seen long periods of time. They are from the Tulwitek family, which suggests that they have a very different relationship to time than mortals. But also, there is special speech indicating special knowledge. So we have, in the folk story we've just seen, this little riddle-like stanza. It's not really a riddle, but it has a proverbial flavour to it in many ways. And of course, in the tale of Taliesin, the minute Elphine discovers the infant Taliesin on the beach, the infant Taliesin starts babbling fine, elegant poetry. Not just this, but also transference through water. So in many of the changeling stories, the wise man, the Gur Kavarwid, or the witch, or whoever the advisor is, always suggests that the mother throws the child back in the water, either into a river, or a lake, or off a bridge. Now this isn't exactly the same as the tale of Taliesin, because in the tale of Taliesin, Taliesin arrives through the water. Yeah? In this, they're wanting to send the old souls back through the water the other way. But I would say that there is a basic similarity in that. Now, that basic similarity between the changeling stories, and lots of them, not just this one, a few of them, three or four of them in the uh, Elias uh, Owen collection, share similar motifs. But this similarity between those stories and the tale of Taliesin, as well as the very ubiquitous nature of changeling stories throughout Europe, from Poland to Scotland to Ireland to Germany, all over the place, that ubiquitous nature also suggests to me that this is the remnants of a very ancient belief, that someone's body could become inhabited by a much older soul, that the soul was different to the body and they were you could uh, transfer souls between bodies, basically. This is something we find throughout the Celtic tradition, of course. Uh, very often it's people's souls being transferred into animals or being transformed into animals, such as the Torch Truith, for example, or Llei in the fourth branch of the Mabinogi. But essentially it's this idea that the soul is separate to the body and that the soul can move between bodies and that an old soul can be born into a new body. It's essentially the belief in reincarnation, very ancient belief that's part of Indo-European cultures, uh, such as the, uh, the Vedic culture, of course. And we find it in early Celtic belief also. So it's no surprise that we would find vestiges of this belief later on. The main difference here, of course, between the tale of Taliesin and the folk tale is that one is positive and the other is negative. Where we have uh, the Taliesin uh, 
uh, episode is quite a positive, affirmative story of a wise old soul incarnating into a new body and bringing forth blessings of wondrous speech and serving his patron well and serving the community and upholding fine poetry and all of that good stuff that Taliesin does. It's a very positive, affirmative story that was popular around the 16th century. By the time we get to the 19th or the 18th century, it's obviously become a very negative thing. Uh, it's a negative belief. It's not affirmative at all. In fact, if your child uh, uh, shows any sign of being in any way touched by an immortal soul or is an immortal soul, you should definitely throw it back in the lake because we don't want children like that in sullying the human community. So there's clearly been a shift in attitude towards this type of reincarnation, towards magic babies, probably because it looks a bit too pagan uh, and doesn't fit that well in the quite conservative culture uh, of Methodist Wales in the 18th and 19th centuries. So we see this shift, this turn away from an affirmative folk belief, uh, celebrating the return of a wise soul into a very negative portrayal. And what's actually quite a disturbing uh, set of stories, because the belief is that you should chuck your infants in the water if you think that they're um, that they're in any way supernatural or otherworldly or just not the same. Now, I can quite believe that maybe some parents did actually do that. We see it across the world to this day that uh, very often people living in rural communities where education isn't the best will often have really negative beliefs, quite dangerous beliefs that, will, that they will sometimes carry out. And there's no evidence of this ever having been the case in Wales, but it might have been the case. I say that because these stories are so common. Um, it was a, clearly a common belief that people really did take seriously at one time. Just to uh, tie this up with the rest of this series, next week we're going to be looking at uh, a much less reliable folktale, but still a very interesting folktale, where Taliesin is literally the descendant of a fairy mother. He's the t a descendant of one of the fairy brides. And I think it's really interesting to consider Taliesin as someone from uh, the Tulwith Teg, as someone from that lineage. Last week we saw how supernatural characters from the third branch of the Mabinogi, Llwydfab Kilcoid and his people, were essentially an early version of the Tulwith Teg. So it's no surprise that someone like Taliesin could also be considered as one of the fair folk. If we just consider uh, a few things, such as uh, the Tulwith Teg are also known as Plant Anoven, that is the fair folk, um, are often called the children of Anoven. Gwynapni, the king of Anoven, is their king. Anoven is their kingdom. And we know from the book of Taliesin that Taliesin is a resident of Anoven. In the book of Taliesin and some of the later uh, poems, Taliesin essentially says that he's a resident of Caer Sidi, Caer Sidi being another name for Anoven. And this is a common feature of the Taliesin mythology in the medieval period, that he is an immortal soul. 
And this leads us on to speculating a bit further, perhaps, that Anoven may be a realm of immortal souls. Now, again, we can't explicitly say that this is the case, but I think there's a very strong suggestion in the Welsh tradition that this is so. This might be why, in later, in later Welsh tradition, Anoven is described as a realm of the dead, or at least Gwynapnirth takes on the role of a psychopomp, someone who is responsible for the dead. You can see the similarity there between realm of immortal, of immortal souls and realm of the dead. There isn't a, a clear distinction between the two, but maybe if we weighted Anoven or the meaning of Anoven closer to realm of immortal souls as opposed to realm of the dead, it might become a bit easier for us to grasp. I think the issue with realm of the dead is that it conjures notions of uh, zombies and corpses and people stuck in graves still speaking even though they're supposed to be dead, which is also part of the Welsh tradition, but parking that for the time being. I think that when we think of it in terms of an immortal soul, that is the place where special souls reside when they're not uh, uh, incarnate, such as Taliesin and various other special characters, uh, King Arthur being another one who is often depicted as being asleep in a cave somewhere, um, uh, somewhere out of time in an Anuvian-like space. The Tilwith Teg are often dancing forever and ever. Uh, you can spend a year there when in reality you've only experienced the day passing. So all of these clues lead us to this interpretation that Anoven could be the realm of immortal souls, that an aspect of which could be described as a realm of the dead, but not specifically. It's this notion that this is where the special souls reside when they're not here, entertaining us with fine poetry. So that, for me, is a hint, at least, and allowing that this is all speculation, that there's no real way of proving this either way, but these hints can lead us to this interpretation of the changelings being a much later evolution of a far older belief, a far older myth, where people believed in the return of great souls, of these immortal souls, exactly like the Dalai Lama uh, tradition. Uh, these different Asian traditions regarding special souls, special spiritual teachers returning uh, to, uh, to help humanity uh, through their suffering and their strife.